It's time for Defending the Faith with Pastor Kenny Word of Gospel Lighthouse Church in Bossier City. Defending the Faith uses foundational principles, fundamental teachings, and faithful preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ to influence the world and strengthen believers in their daily walk. And now, here's Pastor Kenny Word. God's always listening to His children. Robert Murray McShane, he's one of the greatest preachers we've had in America. He said, you know, that he said that if we knew that Christ was in the next room praying for us, we would pray differently and live differently. Right? But distance makes no matter with Christ. Even though he may not be in the next room physically, he's in heaven physically and he's praying for you. He intercedes for his people. Right? How many of you really stop and think about that for a moment? That Christ intercedes for you. Honestly. He's saying, open the door for them. Strengthen them. Don't give up. Hold on. Don't go that way. Don't lose faith. Don't go the way of destruction. Keep walking on the path of righteousness. He's interceding for us. You know, if he wasn't interceding for us, we would have done run into the ditch about seven more times than we already have. Maybe eight. But because Christ intercedes for us, he helps us navigate through the issues of life when all hope seems lost, there's something in us that says, I'm going to hold on. Don't you know that's not you? That's Christ interceding for you? Don't you know he hasn't given up on you? Everybody else probably has, but he hasn't. We say that all the time. God's long-suffering. He hasn't given up on nobody, right? God's long-suffering. He, he desires people to come to repentance. So he says, hear my cry. And, and, and so notice, first, hear me when I call. He is, is, is bringing his request to the Lord. How many of you do that? That right there is a mighty tall order. A lot of times people are quick to, like I said, call pastor, put it on the prayer list. But God calls us to be prayer warriors. Hear me what I call, O oh God of my righteousness. So uh, this is also a declaration of, uh, of David ex ex exclaiming where he gets his righteousness. Does he get his righteousness from himself? He gets it from God. O oh God of my righteousness. Right? And you, you don't get righteousness off of yourself. If you don't know what righteousness is, it, it, it is where you're right with God. Easy way to say it. You don't get there because you worked yourself there. You got there if you are there because you believed on Christ. Christ is our righteousness. Thou hast enlarged me when I was in distress. First 
Look at this word thou, that means singular. That is in, in, in your King James Bible, uh, that thee, thine, uh, thine be the glory. It's talking about singular. Thou, when David is saying thou hast enlarged me, he's talking about God and God alone has done what nobody else could do. God and God alone can bring things to pass in your life and nobody else can do it. God can supply your needs and nobody else can. God can move mountains for you and nobody else can. Thou hast enlarged my tent when I was in distress. What does this mean? This word distress here, um, in, in, in the way, in our language, we, un we understand it, it's a tightening. When all of my problems are crashing down upon me, God enlarges me. When everything else is pressing in, God is pushing out. God enlarges when the world presses. And, and so we see first off, when, when all of these, how many of you feel whenever your problems come, it comes in waves, right? Wave upon wave upon wave. And David said, when these waves were crashing upon me and I was in distress, God enlarged me. God strengthened me. God gave me the ability to breathe when I was getting inundated with issue after issue after issue. Let me say it like this, because you know that burdens are lifted at Calvary. But when burden upon burden upon burden was being placed upon me, thou hast enlarged me. Are you weighed down? Are the, are, are, are the cares weighing on you? Is your heart heavy tonight? That means you're in distress. Not stress, distress. Distress means it's clamping on you. It's like a vice grip up on your heart. Many of you feel like you got a vice grip up on your heart. That's not a good feeling. If you deal with burdens very much, you know exactly what I'm talking about. God will burden your heart and it'll be like a vice clamp up on your heart. You can't do nothing about it. That's distress. Thou, talking about God, and only God can enlarge you in that moment. That's what David's saying. Let me say it the way I would say it. David knew who brought deliverance in his life. David knew who to pray to. He knew where his righteousness came from, and he knew who helped him in his time of need. He knew who to go to. It was God, and God alone. He didn't go to Betty Crocker or anybody else. He didn't. He went to God. He went to God. I think David knew what a lot of people don't know. A lot of, now, it's not true at our church, but you go to a lot of churches, a prayer meetings, a gossip meeting. I heard sister so-and-so is messing around on so-and-so. We need to pray for her. <laughs> right? And instead of praying, it's just tearing folks down. But David knew. David knew where to take his stuff to, not to take it anywhere else but to God first. Amen? Amen. It's not knocking the prayer of agreement, but it's knowing where to go to first. And I know who my Redeemer is.
I know who saves my soul. I know who enlarges me when I'm in distress. I know who my righteousness comes from. It's God and God alone. Who's, who's the foremost person on your mind? He says, when he was in distress, have mercy upon me and hear my prayer. So now he's about to get into this prayer and he's asking the Lord, the one who has helped him in his hour of crisis, he's asking this Lord who has helped him in his hour of crisis to have mercy on him. His mercies are new every morning. Need some new mercy. You can't run off of dead batteries and you can't live off of yesterday's mercy. His mercies are new every year, month, week, day. Every day. And if you're not experiencing new mercy on a daily basis, you're doing it wrong. You're going to falter. You're forgetting the rock from which you were hewn. You're forgetting the God of your salvation. You're forgetting this important fact. You need God. If you're not receiving God's mercy on a daily basis, you are neglecting the fact that you need God. You're trying to do it on your own. You will falter. You will go down the road of destruction. As David later tells his son, Solomon, don't go down the path of the adulterous woman. Right? Avoid it. Avoid the road. Well, he's not just talking about that kind of an issue. He's talking about any kind of a sin issue. You know, you know you don't need to be going that way? Don't go that way. If you know every time you do such and such, you fall in such and such manner, then don't do it. That's not rocket science. It's tough love from the Lord. He said, don't go the way of the adulterous woman. Go the long way. I know many friends who struggle with many different issues, and they go the long way around the issues. Why? Well, you know how we are. We're like, I'm tough. I'll do it. Well, you know what? You want to play around with God? Listen. Proverbs is about wisdom. Wisdom. Wisdom is knowing not only the right thing to do, but how to do it. Wisdom comes from God. Wisdom don't come from us. We always take the shortcut. We always do what we want to do, when we want to do it, how we want to do it, and we end up in a ditch, wrecking our lives and other people's lives in the process. Wisdom comes from God. Don't go that direction, he said. You want to stay on the highway of holiness. Not the highway to hell. This is the theme song of hell. I did it my way. I'll go the way I want to go. Don't tell me what to do. I'm living off yesterday's mercy. Well, if you're living off of yesterday's mercy... You're neglecting the fact that you need God today. Amen, I need God today. Amen, every day. 
I need God in the morning when I wake up in a new way. Because when I wake up, I still wake up in a house of flesh. And if I'm not taking myself to God for mercies on a daily basis, well, I'll tell you the first person that will figure it out is my wife. And it'll work its way out, right? You want to know where somebody, how somebody stands? Talk to somebody who lives with them. You, you shouldn't be one way in church and another way at home. You shouldn't put on, not only should you, you know, you should put on church clothes, but you shouldn't be a different person when you come to church. You shouldn't put on a church attitude. You shouldn't put on a church personality. If you're not the same person outside the church doors as inside the church doors, you've got a major problem. And if you don't come to God, God will expose it. God will expose it. You're not special. He won't let you skate by without exposing it. What's done in secret will be what? Shouted from the rooftop. Woo! We don't like that. It's better to receive that mercy every morning and be made new. Amen? Have mercy upon me and hear my prayer. And we know that God hears the prayer of the righteous, as it says in James. Oh, ye sons of men, how long will you turn my glory into shame? How long will you love vanity and seek after leasing? Selah. He's talking about these people turning God's glory into shame. In other words, using the name of God to go after worldly things. Like $65 million jets. And million dollar cars and mansions. Thinking that godliness is gaining from the world system. Godliness is gaining from God's system. Uh, vanity and leasing. Leasing is falsehoods, liars. Those that worship idols. This leasing is, is those that use God to get to other folks. Those that, 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 that name the name of Christ. This leasing. You can think of it as when you lease a car, right? You don't own it. You're just borrowing it. You got to give it back. People come into a church, leasings. They borrow a church persona. They don't own it. It's not theirs. They just are wearing the persona. Until they get what they want. I've seen people do that. Church after church, year after year, age after age. Started in the first century church. Still going on today. People put on a church persona. How many times have you seen somebody come to church Pray for a job, get a job, and never come back to church. Come to church. 
Pray for a spouse. Get a spouse. Never come back to church. Put on a church persona. Come get what you want. Many times you heard of the horror stories in churches, right? Piano player and song leader and da-da-da. Deacons and deacons' wives and all this kind of stuff. Put on a church persona. It's leasing. They're leasing. They're stealing. It's a falsehood. It's a front. They come in to destroy. Read Jude. Read the book of Jude. Read 2 Peter. Peter calls them a well without water. Come in to destroy lives. David knew. David knew what was going on. Look at David's life. David knew because David had been there, done that. And when people were, were doing it to him, he knew what was happening. He wasn't a dummy. He smelled the writing on the wall. Look at what he says. They seek after leasing. But know that the Lord had set apart. Everybody say set apart. But know. Know. If you're listening to this, that's with a K. Know. Understand. Know that the Lord had set apart him that is godly or him that is of God, him that is, in New Testament terms, born again of the family of God. Know that the Lord has set apart him that is godly for himself. The Lord will hear when I call unto him. David's saying, there's these people who are turning God's glory into shame. They're using it for vanity. They're coming in as, as, as wearing a persona of a godly person, but they're coming in to use it for their own fleshly desires. But he said, and they're coming after him. David said, they're coming after me, but I'll tell you this, he said. God has set apart the godly man. You, you, if you're a godly person, God sets you apart. And many of you remember the story of, of, of Balaam. Balaam couldn't curse what God blessed. If God has blessed something, nobody can curse it. God sets apart his people. And if God has blessed you, no man can curse you. They may try. They may try to bring you down. They may try to destroy you. They may try to undermine you. But if God has his hand on you, you will be set apart. And God will protect you. You will understand the truth of the reality that God is your strong tower. God is a refuge for those that run to him. His name is a strong tower. For all those that run in. He's a strong tower. To protect you. If God has put his hand on you, if you belong to God, what God has blessed, no man can curse. Now, the enemy gets to you through your mind. The enemy will get you to stinking thinking. 
He will get you to think that all hope is lost. You better just give up now. You're doing it wrong. You've always done it wrong. You'll always do it wrong. You better just give up now before you waste any more time. He gets to you through your head. This is why you got to put on the armor of God. This is why you got to take up the shield of faith to quench all the fiery darts of the enemy. Because he gets to you through your mind. But if you're of God, God has set you apart. And what David is, is relaying right here in verse number three is, though these people come in and devise evil, though they come in and they were seeking out to destroy David, David had scheme after scheme after scheme meant to destroy him. Starting out with his brothers, to the king, to his own family. He had scheme after scheme after scheme meant to destroy him. But God had his hand on David. Because David was a man after God's own heart. Was David perfect? Nope. But he sought God. He sought God. He was godly because he sought God. And God said because of that, he set him apart. Just like when Balaam went to go up there and, and, and curse the nation of Israel from up on that cliff. He looked down. God said, you can't curse them. But you know, I blessed them. You can't curse them. You're going to try to destroy what I have raised up? I don't think so. And if God has raised you up, if God has raised you up, if God has brought you up out of the miry clay and set you up on a rock, if God has lifted your head, who's going to curse you? Did God lift you up? Did God set you apart? Did God do a work in you? I said this this morning, one of my favorite verses, Philippians 1 verse 6. You can quote it. It says that he that began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ. He will perfect it until the day of Christ. He that began a good work is God, not you, by the way. Amen. He that began a good work is God, not you. And he that began the good work, which is lifting you up, setting you on a rock, getting your feet on the rock, he that puts you on the rock will perfect that work until the day of Christ. So you tell me, if God has lifted you up and set you on a rock, how somebody's going to come in and devise evil against you and bring you down. That's what David's saying. That's what David's saying. Know that the Lord has set apart him that is godly for himself, for the Lord will when I call unto him and whenever you feel like things are coming against you this is a good verse to pull out when you feel like people are rising up against you when you feel like the enemy's voice is rising up against you when you feel all that kind of stuff you just say you know, you know what I know all that stuff's coming against me but praise God I know that God sets apart those that are godly he sets them apart to himself God will set you in a rock let the storm pass by.
God will expose all those bands of wickedness before your eyes. God will pull it out. God takes care of his people. God knows who his people are. God knows who his people aren't. And God will take care of his folks. He's better at it than you think. He's better at it than I think. He's beyond our description of words. Look what it says in verse number four. Stand in all and sin not. Commune with your own heart upon your bed and be still. Say la. This is great. Stand in awe. When was the last time you stood in awe of God? When was the last time God was just a word coming out of your trap? When was the last time you actually stood in awe of God? You know, the, uh, our nation is religious liberty founded. One of the groups, the Quakers, you know how they got their name? They quaked. They shook back and forth in reverential fear of God. They quaked. Now, they had a little bit of stuff wrong, but I think all of us do. But look here. That's what it means to stand in awe. It means to quiver before God. I got to give it that to them. I don't see many people quivering before God. You want to get right with God? Quiver before him. Let your heart go there. Let your heart stand in that much reverential awe of God. That'll get you right. You want to come out of a prayer meeting with a new heart? With a new mind? You want to come out of a church service? Renewed, refreshed, reinvigorated? Quake before God. Quiver before him. Stand in awe of God. You can't stand in awe of God and walk out yawning. You can't stand in, in, in awe of God and, and do this. What time is it? You can't stand in awe of God and, and be worried about stuff like that. You stand in awe of God, you lose yourself. You lose time. You lose worry. You lose burdens. You stand in awe of God. You're beholding the beauty of the Lord. As much as he'll reveal it to you, you're beholding the beauty of the Lord. And it refreshes you. It renews you. It reinvigorates you. It gives you a fire off in your belly. It can't be duplicated. It can be imitated, but it can't be duplicated. Fire in the belly can be imitated because everybody can put on a show. But when push comes to shove, the true fire burns. When reality hits, the true fire will burn. And that's when somebody has been reverential, standing in awe of God, quaking, quivering before him, telling him how beautiful he is, how wonderful he is, how merciful he is, how holy he is. Telling him how he is magnificent in your eyes. 
Tell me you can do that and yawn. And, 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 and what we're told to do is to stand in awe and sin not. In other words, get the sin out of the camp. As you go to the Lord and you're beholding his glory, you're beholding his beauty, you're beholding the wonders of the Lord, as you are doing that, God will reveal things to you. God will show things to you. God will show areas in your life that you need to address. He will tell you that you're not doing this or you need to do that. Maybe you've been unforgiving. Maybe you've been bitter. Maybe you're looking at something you don't need to be looking at. Maybe you've been mad, angry. Maybe you've been unloving. Maybe you've been loving the wrong folks. The wrong way. At the wrong time. For the wrong reason. Stand in awe of God and sin not. God will bring things to light. The Holy Spirit will take the flashlight of holiness and he will illuminate those dark places. He will show you. He will show you what's out of line. Commune with your own heart upon your bed and be still. This is reflecting. This is reflecting to God. Asking the Lord to show you where you're wrong. Commune with your own heart. That means don't lie to yourself. You can lie to other people. You can lie to the closest people around you. You can put on a show. And we know folks that can put on a show. But when you lie down, commune with your own heart, get real. If things aren't right, get it out. If your attitude's not right, get it out. You got sin in there? Get it out. Commune with your own heart. Be real with yourself. I mean, it's one thing to lie to a church or lie to a, 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 your spouse or lie to your family. Don't lie to your own heart. At some point, you need to get real with yourself and get right with God. And that's what he's saying. Don't go to bed without getting right with God. Don't go to bed without getting those things out. Lord, when they took my parking spot, I smiled, but on the inside, I hope they got flat tires. Nobody else knew that but you and God. And when you lay down at night, that's when you commune with your own heart. Stop lying to yourself that you're And get real. There's still something in there that needs to get out. Right? Jesus said out of the heart, that's where uh, uh, adulteries and fornications and murders come from. You have those things in there, get them out. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. That means if you got them in your heart, at some point, sometime, you're going to act on it. Whether you act on it or not, just depends on how many lives you're going to destroy. But once you got it in your heart, it's already sin before God. Yeah, you look on a, a, a person in lust, you've already committed adultery in your heart. You look on a brother in anger, you already committed murder. 
What else you want to do? What else you want to get in your heart? You better get it out. You better get it out. For it causes you to do something and fall. Commune with your own heart upon your bed and be still. This harkens back to one more thing. It's reminded of our vacation Bible school with Daniel. Daniel taught the kids to pray a morning, noon, and night, three times a day, right? Three times a day, morning, noon, and night. And here's prayer at night. And you know, at night, when you commune with your own heart, be still, pray. It's a great time to pray. Before you go to bed, before you close your eyes, ask the Lord, did I do anything I shouldn't have done? I'm sorry, Lord. Help me, Lord. If nothing else, commune with your own heart on your bed and pray. Get right with God. You may not make it till the morning. Amen. I know you might have ate spinach tonight, but you might not make it till tomorrow. Spinach don't guarantee you wake up. Our life is in his hands. Our appointment with death is on his calendar schedule, not ours. As I said today, you're not going to leave this earth a day before he wants you to, and you're not going to stay here a day after he wants you to. You will make your appointment. And your appointment may be tonight. And that's why David's saying, commune with your own heart on your bed. Get those things out and get right with God. Nothing else is more important than that. Nothing else is more important than that. <clears throat> Verse number five, he says, offer the sacrifices of righteousness and put your trust in the Lord. The sacrifice of righteousness, one of the sacrifices that we are called to do as New Testament believers is a sacrifice of praise. From our lips, we should be singing the praises of God, offering the sacrifice of thanksgiving. Thanksgiving should not just be lip service to God. It should be the attitude of the heart. If you've got it in your heart, the worship leader don't have to say, come on, let's be thankful, let's be thankful, let's be thankful. If you're thankful in your heart, it billows out. It billows out. Right? Come on, let's tell the Lord we love him. Come on, you do love him, right? Come on. Got to prime the pump. When we're supposed to be overflowing with fountains of living water. The fountain of living water run dry. What happened? God didn't run out of living water. God's source don't stop. You done clogged it up. Sister Pat said there's a flaw in the flow. Look what it says in verse number six. There be many that say who will show us any good. Lord, lift thou up the light of thy countenance upon us. Many wonder where the truth is. Many wonder where the truth is. Many are looking for people that are real. Many are people People are looking for an authentic 
relationship with God. And so he says, Lord, lift up your countenance on us. Let them see you in me. People are looking for the real thing. Leonard Ravenhill said, you don't have to advertise a fire. If a fire is burning in the night, you don't have to tell folks a fire is burning in the night. They'll see it, and if they want the fire, they'll come to it. Right? You don't have to advertise, we got a fire burning over Yeah, we see it, buddy. But you can't advertise a fire that's not there. But he says, you know, people are looking for a real thing. People are looking for something that is good. They're looking for that authentic walk with God. So he knows he doesn't have it in and of himself. So he asked the Lord to let the light of his countenance shine upon him. Let your light be shown in us and through us that other people may see your hand upon us and glorify you. Which harkens back to the Sermon on the Mount. Whenever Jesus said to do good works. Remember that? Men will glorify who? God. Let your light be, be seen. Men will glorify God. All right, last two verses here. Verse number seven. Thou, and you guys that went to the Bible school earlier, y'all know what thou means, right? Thou means God, right? T, thou, thine, thee, it's singular. This means only one and only one person is who David's talking about. Never forget this. Thou hast put gladness in my heart. Everybody say thou. Thou, thou hast put gladness in my heart. It wasn't somebody that told you good news about winning a lottery. It wasn't somebody that told you yes when you asked them to marry you. It wasn't somebody that gave you a job. It wasn't somebody that gave you a bonus. It wasn't somebody that gave you a pat on the back. It wasn't somebody that acknowledged your good work, your hard sacrifice. It wasn't any of that kind of stuff. What put gladness in your heart was God and God alone. And if it's not God, it's wrong. It's false. And it'll leave you hopeless. It'll burn you. It'll hurt you. So he recognizes who put the gladness in his heart. He recognizes who touched him. He recognizes it is God and God alone who's touched my heart. It's God who awoken my heart. Otherwise, I'd still be asleep in sin. But praise be to God, I have awoken from a sleep of sin. Amen? Okay, so he says, thou hast put gladness in my heart. This gladness here is speaking of joy, exuberant joy, gladness. Has God made you glad? Has God brought joy in your life? Are you faking it? This is, not this is not dependent on your circumstances. If you're waiting on your circumstances to change before you get glad, you're going to be waiting a long time because God will keep you waiting. God will keep you waiting for a long time in your circumstances. Nothing will ever satisfy your soul until God does. Nothing will ever fill the void in your heart. Nothing will ever fill that place until God does. 
Thou hast put gladness in my heart. Wasn't nobody else. You looking in the wrong places. If you're waiting on your circumstances to change. Before you get some gladness off in your soul. One of those Christians that nobody likes to talk to. Look at Paul's life. Your circumstances aren't worse than Paul's. Shipwrecked, abandoned, beaten, stoned to death, hungry, cold, no clothes, alone. I know many people that would have said, this stuff ain't for me. I'm going back to my regular job. Reminded of a minister, he said, it's not a country club, boys, it's a battlefield. You can leave if you want to. You can run if you want to. It's a battlefield. Came here to die. Thou hast put gladness in my heart more than in the time that their corn and their wine increase. Hold up. We're talking specifically about circumstances of life right here. You know when, when worldly folks get happy? When their corn and wine increase. When their bank account's in the black and not the red. Whether it says 100 or 1,000 or you can tell somebody's up and down based on how their bank account goes. You can tell somebody's up or down based on their love life. You can tell somebody's up or down based on who won their favorite TV show. I know people that when their favorite team lost the ball game, you couldn't talk to them for three days. It sounds funny now, but it's an idol. We make, fun of, we make fun of them, but they're, they're more dedicated than Christians are. They'll sit out there for three hours in zero-degree weather. Stand up the whole time and shout the whole time, not looking at their watch. Go, go, go. You can do it. Three hours later, they're still going, go, go, go. Been there, done that. We're, we're talking about the circumstances of life. M most people they get glad when their corn and their white when their wine increases. When the circumstances of life go their way, they're happy. And when they don't go their way, don't talk to me. Don't look at me. Everything's going up. Nothing's ever going to go right for me. Nothing's ever going to go right until God is the one who's able to deposit into your life and not other things. Because one season your corn and wine may increase, the next season it may decrease. But how many of you know uh, something never changes? It is, uh, okay, it's not corn because corn changes. It, and it's not wine because wine changes. It's definitely not people because people change. But there is something that never changes. God. 
God changes not. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is a rock and a fortress and a strong tower. You can lean on the everlasting arms of God Almighty, and he will never change. Who makes you glad? Who makes you glad? Circumstances of life? Money in the bank? People that like you? A better house? A better car? A better job? A better spouse? Better kids? Better clothes? Better health? Better wealth? What's got to change in your life till you get glad on God? That's what God's looking for. You get glad with God now? If you can't get glad with God now, when will you be able to? And see, God can do something in you that the world has no understanding of. Their, their, their corn and their wine will increase, and they got a little woo. And nothing's changed with you, but you got a ah. You get, you get somebody that's, a, that, that, that's sold out for God, that's a Jesus freak. You get somebody that loves Jesus. Everything else in their life could be going wrong, but you get them off in a church service where they can freely and passionately worship the Lord. They're happy. Met peace, joy. It's like Paul said, I can do all things through Christ which strengthened me. He, he said he learned to be content with things as he had. How? Because God put gladness in his heart, not circumstances. If circumstances change your gladness, you're always going to be up and down. But if God is the one who makes you glad, nobody's going to be able to wipe it off your face. Even when you chained up, midnight hour, dinner lines, fiery furnace, even when you got all hell coming against you, God's for you. And if God's for you, If God's for you, tell me who's against you. I told you earlier, no man can curse what God has blessed. If you're a godly person, God has set you apart. Nobody's going to take you down. I will both lay me down in peace and sleep. Somebody need a good night's sleep? You need to reread this psalm. You probably won't need NyQuil after you do all this. <laughs> I will both lay me down in peace and sleep. See, if you're not taking care of those things that we went through in this psalm, when you lay down, you're going to have all kinds of imaginations running through your head, bombarding. You don't have peace if you haven't been doing this stuff. Why? Well, if circumstances are what makes you glad, guess what? When you lay down, you're going to be wondering, 
What's the weather going to be like tomorrow? Because if the weather's like this, then I'm not going to be able to do that. And if I can't do this, then that means I won't be able to do that. What's the stock market like? Because if it's like this, then I'm going to have to do that. Who got elected? Because if they get elected, then I've got to do this, and then they might do that. You see, if you have stood in awe of God, quaked before him, quivered before him, confessed your sin, get it out, commune with God. May God be what makes you glad, not circumstances. Then you'll lay down and you'll be at peace. You'll lay down and be at peace. I will both lay me down in peace and sleep, rest. For thou, Lord, only makest me dwell in safety. God protects you. God mounts garrison around you. Bible tells us in Psalm 127 that except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. See, you can plan and scheme all you want to, but if God isn't protecting, don't do any good. Watchman waketh but in vain. That's what he's saying. Amen? So what, what we see in the psalm is, is, is really a psalm of getting your heart right, getting your heart squared away. Preparing yourself. Preparing your heart. Receiving the Lord. And God will do a new work in you. Amen? Praise the Lord. Oh, Father, we just thank you tonight for your presence and for your help. Father, we thank you for your goodness and your mercy. You don't turn us away but you're merciful on those that call upon you. Lord, I pray if there's any person here who needs to get right with you, Father, I want to pray with them before we take communion. If you're here and the Lord's been, been dealing with you on any of the issues that I've preached on, I want you to slip your hand up. I want to pray with you. If anybody here, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Anybody else, God's speaking to you. You have been listening to Defending the Faith with Pastor Kenny Word of Gospel Lighthouse Church in Bossier City. Defending the Faith uses foundational principles, fundamental teachings, and faithful preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ to influence the world and strengthen believers in their daily walk. Gospel Lighthouse Church is located at 4350 Panther Drive in Bossier City. Go to churchlighthouse.com for more information. And please tune in again next time for Defending the Faith.